RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Live Bold and Boss Up podcast. This week, Steph and I talked to Jason Hauer. He's the co-founder and chief growth officer at The Garage Group. The Garage Group is an award-winning Inc. 500 lean innovation and growth strategy firm that helps F500 companies like brands that you know, companies that you know and love and use every day, like Nike, Procter & Gamble, Mars, he and much more. He leverages this startup-inspired approach to help solve these huge companies' uncertainty in innovation and growth strategies and all that awesomeness, um, which you wouldn't think that they would have issues, right? But they do. They're, they're trying to grow and change and with these times. And Jason's also the chief growth officer over at Courageous Minds Only Community. This community has given thousands of corporate leaders the courage and inspiration and ideas for building the future in an uncertain world. Jason's such an uh, an experienced entrepreneur, a growth hacker. We're really excited to have more conversations with him, right? Because we want to see what he does next. There's so much more we haven't uncovered, but this is a great start to it. Listen up, enjoy the conversation, and please like, subscribe, and share this episode too. We'd really love to um, have your support. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, Jason. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time. Yeah, excited to be here. I'm excited to dive into the conversation. Yeah, I um, I'm really excited to hear about just how you created your personal brand, all the all the work behind it, like, is there like a secret sauce to doing that? I, obviously, it's really important to create a personal brand. You know, how do you how do you do that? How does one go about creating that? Yeah, I think I think I'm. It's taken me a while, just in my career, to focus more on kind of the process and the inputs and things that you can control versus outcomes. <clears throat> but I think if I reflect on kind of the journey I've been on. It's, it's really doing some pretty deep like reflection in terms of who are you from a strengths perspective? Like, what do you give a shit about um, from, from a conviction standpoint? <clears throat> and then just put, putting the work in day in and day out to do that. So to me, it starts with that internal, like your personal why and self-reflection in terms of understanding like really who you are <clears throat> and what you can contribute to the world. And then, and then it's just day in and day out. It's putting the work in to, to build that brand. And it should really, to me, it's not an intentional thing that you do as much as the personal brand is a reflection of all the, all the little things that you do in terms of how you connect with people, the content that you put on social, uh, the content that you create to put out there and to kind of build your brand to how you are investing in yourself from a learning and growth standpoint. Um, and so for me, like that's, it's been with a garage group, I've had this huge conviction around helping organizations to be entrepreneurial, to learn and grow as they push forward. And a lot of times I think it's easy to look at the new business that was launched or the new product that was launched, 
But in reality, it's leaders that are being courageous to one step into these kind of uncertain times around their business and to be able to push themselves forward, right? And so that's that's my personal brand is really pushing organizations and pushing leaders to embrace a lot of those approaches. Um, so the content that I put out, how I just push people one-on-one in conversations of asking questions and either challenging or encouraging, um, all, all those things to me contribute to a personal brand, at least for me. Right. So did, how did you start the the garage group? How did you get into it and how did it start? Yeah, so it was really, I've always been entrepreneurial since a, as a kid. I had like paper routes and I always knew I wanted to start uh, business and I, I, I've always loved entrepreneurship. And I think it took, it took, this is comes back to the personal brand question or whatever, right? Because I, I didn't know really who I was. I didn't know kind of how I was wired, what a lot of my gifts were. And I didn't have a lot of life experience. So like coming out of college, I felt like I needed to go work for a little bit to get some experience, life experience and that sort of thing. And then I think about what, um, eight, nine years in, I really, really started feeling the entrepreneurial itch to where, hey, this is what, how, what I'm wired to do. And I need to jump in and do this. So it was a combination of me knowing that I'm a serial entrepreneur and I needed to embrace that and tap into it. And that was finding kind of the right partner and the right market opportunity and then just jumping into it. And I would say the the passion for innovation and entrepreneurship came first. But then as I got into it and I continued to learn and grow, I think as I was talking about before, like the, my personal brand kind of is evolved and come out of that to where it is about challenging leaders and organizations to grow and continue to grow. Right. So, so it, it, sorry, Steph, is it fair <laughs> to say like a personal brand is more of your passion, just kind of narrowed down to, to what you want to do and then expressing that in a certain way? It, it is, but I think for it to be meaningful, it has to be hooked to being of value to other people. Like we love, like I love Apple it's a cool brand, but it's like integrated in part of my life, right? It's highly functional, it's high design, right? And so to me, it, it has to be something you're passionate about because that's what, what allows you to put the thousands of minutes and hours into like honing it and crafting it and pushing it forward. But it's really to me a reflection of what you're passionate about, but also something that's highly valuable, valuable to other people, right? <clears throat> um, and so that's, that's where I feel like when you can kind of marry those two up, you can really create a, a brand. But I mean, because you, you could, it could be a value to people. And if you don't give a shit about it, you're not going to stay with it. And people are going to be able to see right through that. I got if it. You're I super, it. If you're super passionate about it and it's a value, then that, that authentically just comes out and, it, and, it, and you have a way of impacting people in a certain way that you can't, right? Otherwise. Yeah. yeah. So your like goal and your motto, or I guess uh, your like what your garage groups like main goal is, is to have, is to try to get big companies to operate like a startup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause like if you think about it a lot, most big organizations, they have like a lot of process processes that type divisional labor and they become successful on, on, on a certain business model. Right. 
and even pre-COVID, a lot of there was a lot of uncertainty in the market, and COVID has like accelerated a lot of change. And our our mission and our like our, our kind of ambition is to help a lot of these organizations take an entrepreneurial approach to growing to stay relevant. So sometimes that's if their core business got hammered because of COVID, how do they take an entrepreneurial approach to fix it and to, to continue to stay relevant to consumers and customers? And then in other cases, it's what are the next things they can step out into and to, to continue to grow, right? <clears throat> and from a leadership perspective, most organizations it's an executive, it's not a knock, but they, a lot of executives are promoted because of this, they're the smartest person in the room and they're mastering the existing context. And that's great in stability, but in uncertainty, you have to be a master at searching for new ways to add value, to reinvent yourself, to reinvent, build new skills and experiences, but also to just experiment with new ways of adding value in the market, right? And that's startups and entrepreneurs are exceptional at solving uncertain challenges and adding value that way. And so that's, that's what we bring to the table. I love that because so often these large companies, you kind of lose that entrepreneurial mindset and how they got there in the first place. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. You, it's all about execution. It's not about searching for new ways to add value and right. startups, entrepreneurs are exceptional at search. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So whenever you started Garage Group, obviously you weren't initially going after excuse me, these huge brands like Nike and a lot of the customers that you have now, how did you break into those companies? Yeah, I think it's, it's first is like we, we experimented, my business partner and I, uh, it was just the two of us out of the gate with um, just figuring out, okay, we have this cool, cool idea, this cool mission, but what does it actually really look like to add value? So we started out with some smaller brands with Cal and Procter & Gamble, uh, smaller brands within those organizations. We worked with some services companies, but it was really about a couple of years of experimentation that helped us understand, okay, what is, what is our meaning in, in the world? Like, how can we help versus what are we not going to do anymore? And that conviction for h- having successful pilots and how we could help really drove our conviction for continuing to push forward. Right. And I think if, it, 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 it's one thing like just to, to start a company. It's another, like if you're going after like fortune 500 type companies and we've kind of learned it the hard way, but we've, we've gotten there is like, you have to have extreme conviction for what you do. You have to have not only a, a, a service or a solution or a product that solves a market need, but you have to, it has to be highly differentiated and just exceptionally good. And then you just, to me, you have to show up authentically over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just expect to knock on somebody at Nike or Procter & Gamble's door and then get the business. Like there's been some relationships that I've been building over eight years. Right. And I, I, I truly believe, particularly like when you're building something meaningful, you have to play the long game. And I think too many people get impatient in terms of, okay, it didn't work that month or that week or that quarter. Whereas you just, if you have conviction for it and you continue to put the work in, um, that that's to me what, what drives the opportunities. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I feel like that's, that's the difference between a very successful salesperson and a good salesperson mm-hmm. is being in there for the long game. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone like looking to get into that big company, have that next big deal across their desk? 
Yeah, I mean, I to me, the number one thing is do you of the 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 companies that you want to serve, like how deeply do you understand their needs, the problem that you want to solve, like who's responsible for buying solutions in that space? What are they already doing? And then I think when you have that backdrop, it allows you then to kind of do, be self-critical on, hey, is our solution good enough? Is it differentiated enough? Maybe it is, but maybe we're not communicating the value as strongly as we could. Um, and then just under truly understanding those needs. Because I think to me, exceptional um, sales in general isn't even about sales. It's just solving meaningful problems for people. And so if you understand the, the, the problem in a deep way, and then you understand the solution, um, and then you're, you're communicating the right way it should work. If that's not working, then I would go back to say, do I understand the customer I'm trying to serve? Are we, do we actually have a great product or not? Or do we need to innovate and make it stronger? Or are we, do we have a gap in how we're communicating it? Um, those are the things that I would think about. So wait a minute. So going back to what you talked about um, with like, you know, your relationship building, right? Like you didn't just wake up and have Nike as a client or Procter & Gamble, right? You had like those relationships that you built over the years. Tell us a little bit of your secret sauce when it comes to like, how did, how did you, how did you even start that relationship or how did, you know, did you just find their contact and start emailing them? Like what was like the secret behind even just starting a relationship, not necessarily having them as a client, but starting that, that relationship. I'm curious, like selfishly, yeah. I think for myself. <laughs> to me, it, it, again, it goes back to how deeply do you understand one, those organizations and two, the problem that they have, right? Because then, then to me, if you, if you do that, then it's easy to me to orient your sales and marketing activities to really reaching those customers. And so for me, it started with conviction for pr the problem we were solving. And then the belief in how we were solving it was one important and two dif highly differentiated in the market. Mm -hmm. And then it was really, to me, really going all in. This is back to the personal brand hook, but really going all in on producing exceptional content that drove that message that helped with awareness and getting in front of it front of the right people um but then it to me it's just just relentlessly being out there whether it's uh cold reach outs over linkedin showing up at conferences being on social media like linkedin primarily a ton um it's just <clears throat> having conviction and then just strategically working kind of a process of lead generation to getting people up to speed on what we do and then staying in front of people until um, there was the right opportunity to work together, right? And I, again, I, I think it's, I think we, we want to think about success and events like, hey, I got this project or I, we got a, we got an RFP or we, we, we won this business. But I always, I encourage our team in this and it, it drives me as it's about the process. It's about the inputs. And it's, did I put the, do the 10,000 touches over the month? Um, the previous month to produce kind of the RFPs and the proposal opportunity, the proposal uh, opportunities and the, the win one business for this month or this quarter. Right. Yeah. So it, it, to me, it goes back to just putting the right work in. That makes so much sense because, um, you know, sometimes you're like, 
well, I'm not going to work on it. It's not an official role, right? You're, it's not an official RFP, like you said. And um, yeah. and if you don't make those touches, then you'll never get that opportunity, right? If you don't, keep, absolutely, yeah. yeah. To me, I think we want to we want to wait for the we want to wait for marketing to hand us over the the warm lead, or we want to um, we we just want to wait for the opportunity to be right in front of us. And I think if I reflect on our success as a company. I've driven, driven the kind of the, the strategic approach to it. It's just going out and winning, creating opportunities for ourselves. And um, because we, again, we've done our homework in terms of who is the client, what's their situation, how we can add value and strong content game early, strong brand, but then being able to unearth those opportunities and turn them into to projects and business. And mm-hmm. but it's, it's embracing that entrepreneurial approach to sales and marketing and the integration of the two versus, Hey, this is just the role that I play within this like big sales process. What competitive advantage did you have over your competitors? Like what made, what makes garage group different than your, your biggest competitor out there? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I think, I think we brought, even though we, we were helping being entrepreneurial innovation, like we brought an entrepreneurial approach to a pretty static and fixed process. And so a lot of the big companies, division of labor was organized around a set of like very specific capabilities. So qualitative research or ideation or quantitative idea testing. And we brought a lot of those um, elements together. And I think we did that. <coughs> we did five, six, seven years ago was very unique. I think it's become almost a commodity now, right? So that back then that was the differentiator. Today it's really, I would say, combining all those things, but moving exceptionally fast. And we we have a lot of like really strong uh, previous like client side leaders with the garage group. So it's it's the leaders that are running that work and that process. And, and we've been doing it for what a decade now. So it's the compounded, learning and just the relentless learning and getting better at every step too. Yeah. That's, that's what it sounds like. Just constant learning, right? Of, Absolutely. Of, yeah. Of, that's why, that's why I love entrepreneurship because it's, it's about, it's, it's not, it's not about like where you end up, but it, it's like, it's about the journey and it's about learning and getting better every day and challenging yourself to do so. Like you can read books and, and all that stuff, but it's, it, it to me, it's about applied learning and I don't look at it as failure as much as I look at it as you're working a process to figure out kind of like to, to be successful, right? Whether it's to win the business or it's to deliver a successful project. And that just comes from just relentless application and, and trying Did it work, not course correct and keep going. And right. you have to learn and grow through that. Speaking of that, was there like one thing that maybe happened where you're like, you completely failed and you're like, oh shit, I'm not going to do that again. You're like, really learned from it yeah i mean i like it it's interesting i think when we first started i wouldn't call this a failure but it was a, it was a, a huge inflection point mm-hmm. when we first started the company we did a lot of experiments <laughs> and we we stayed busy we were able to like pay ourselves salary and that sort of thing but our targeting was all over the place and it was really hard to justify like scaling a to me, it's, as an entrepreneur, it's hard to, to justify scaling a business when the customers you're serving are all over the place. 
And we basically decided, I think it was like summer of 2014, like if we're actually really going to build a meaningful business here, we have to focus. And when we did that, we started saying no to a lot of projects. And that was hard. And like halfway through that, I'm like, man, is this a mistake? Am I going to have to go get another job? And then we finally, I think we ended up getting Adidas as a client and Abbott Nutrition and uh, did our first project with Heinz at the time. That was even before Kraft Heinz. And but started seeing the success, but that was, that was the moment that I felt like a real entrepreneur before I just felt like I was kind of self-employed doing innovation work. Right. But it's, it, to me, those, those moments of inflection of like, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to build something meaningful, we have to focus and we have to build a repeatable process on how we're going to get clients and start to set up the work so that we can hire the team. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That was that was probably the biggest and early inflection point for me. Nice. So, oh God, <laughs> sorry, like hijacking the question. No, I was just going to ask, is that kind of how you stay relevant too? Um, it was at that inflection point that helped you stay relevant or is there like something else that, that kind of helps your team stay on point and relevant with yeah. all these brands? Yeah. I think like it's, you know, um, Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why? You, you guys familiar with that book at all? Yes. The That to me is, I don't know if like we, we, we kind of learned it from him or just drove it, but I think it's a good illustration. To me, it's so easy to get fixed on what you do or how you do it, not why you do it. And I think what enables leaders in teams and our, our team, the garage group to be successful is I think we, we have a really solid conviction for our mission and the value that we want to drive for clients, but how we've done it in the past and like what we do, it, it, that changes, right? Like our business model over the course of the garage group has changed multiple times. The methods and approaches we use have changed, but what hasn't changed is the mission and the outcomes we're trying to drive for clients. And I think it's so easy to get, locked in with a fixed mindset to kind of how you do what you do or what your role is or what your job description is versus saying like, what's the value that the market needs for me right now? And I think COVID has been this amazing inflection point for people to say, I know it creates uncertainty, but I think it creates a massive amount of opportunity to say, what is the value really, really do I have to this organization or this team? And how do I need to learn and grow to continue to stay relevant, right? Don't be locked into everything that's falling down around you, but say, how did the world change and how can I step into that change and learn and grow as a result, right? I think our team does that really well. And I think it just comes back from operating from that why place versus kind of just the functional things that you do day in and day out. Right. I 100% agree with that. Going back to your why, what is your why? Um, I was going to ask you, so congratulations, first of all, on selling your business. Um, oh, thank you. You sold it in June of, of 2021, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Which is awesome. Um, that's a huge success. So what made you decide that this was a time to sell your business as opposed to just keeping it and staying on and kind of what was that deciding factor? And um, like, are you still involved? and kind of yeah. where to from now. So I started the garage group like over 11, like about 11 years ago. And 
hit it as you mentioned at successful exit mid-june and i'll be on helping to transition the business for a year um and i think it's a it's a really really hard thing one to start it and build it but then two to exit but i feel like if i'm really staying true to myself in terms of that learning and growth like i feel like i i'm i, I feel like personally i'm ready for that next like big challenge I, I deep down know I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor and I almost feel like I wanted to, to build this and sell it so that I'm able to kind of jump into the next thing. And I honestly, I don't know what that is. I'm kind of working through that right now, but I just know deep down that that's, that's what I needed to do. And I, I, I believe in myself hundred percent that I'll figure out whatever I do next. And I just, I want to continue to learn and grow and challenge myself and, and so I, I love the mission of the garage group. I love the team. Uh, the uh, two members of our leadership team that bought it are exceptional. So love them to death. And it's it's cool being in a place of enabling two really strong female leaders to take over and continue for the company. So I love that. And I think I'm just ready for what's next. Like I want to continue to learn and grow and challenge myself. And I feel like I, I try to represent that to the market. And if I don't do that myself, then I'm, that's not very authentic, right? So like, that's, that's what I'm about. And that's, that's what I want to embrace and do. Yeah. I love that. That's exciting. And I can't wait to hear what's next. Um, have you had some of your clients like reach out to you and have you want to, or have you come on, what to have you come on board with them and you know, still give advice. Have you had anyone reach out to you like that? I've had like, I think it's more in the, the, um, cause like my, my sweet spot is like really the building TGG brands and then kind of the strategic sales and marketing. So I've had a lot of, um, leaders reach out to me for those types of roles, but I, I really, um, like, ownership is super important to me. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm really focused on is either buying another company and or um, getting into a situation um, where I'm able to have some equity, but also just build something like really meaningful. So, um, so yes, people have reached out, but I almost feel like I need, I'm just kind of being patient. Right. Don't rush it. No, no reason to. You you chatted about reading books, and when we were chatting earlier, you mentioned um, vibe, and was it vibe and build? Oh yeah, yeah. You mentioned absolutely. Um, we're big I, on books here. I know yeah. we're huge on books, so that's on my list. I wrote it down. Um, I haven't read it yet, but that's the next next on my list. Um, the other thing you we were chatting about was you know, really maximizing on your referrals. And I, and I don't know if like that corresponds with like, you know, once you've got a big name brand, like, you know, Adidas or Jack Daniels or something like that, if the referrals from those large organizations led to another large organization, but we were chatting about that, like how to maximize your referrals. And that's just like one thing I wanted to ask you too, was, you know, how did you do that? Was there like a secret sauce that you found or? Yeah. Yeah. I think like that's it's an interesting thing because I think in this kind of post sort of end of COVID post COVID world, a lot of like big trade shows are shut down. So from a lot of B2B companies, a lot of traditional like lead gen channels like are just 
completely demolished, right? And I think it's it's forcing teams to kind of think through what's next. And I would just say like a lot of our business has, has come from referrals and it, kind of on reflection, it's, I don't think we ever like ask for them outright, but I think it's more of how do you, how do you, how does your team show up? Like what's the culture like of a client working with your team? Is it infectious? Do they enjoy that? Like, do you truly add value and do exceptional work? And I think when you're able to build that kind of relationship with your clients, like we are, like a lot of our um, team members who do the delivery of our work are the ones that really build those lasting relationships and have the the impact on on um, on clients. <clears throat> but I think that's the kind of stuff to me that then drives referrals, right? Because it's it's your brand. What's the value you're putting out from a content perspective? It's how does every single member of your firm or your company interacting with clients? Like, what is that relationship? How does it feel? And then how great are you from a delivery perspective? Right. And I think when you can nail those things that you really create the preconditions for kind of word of mouth referral as you go along. Right. And I, I would just say that whether that's within a client company, brand to brand and or um, with clients, um, that are referring us to other other peers at other organizations and or clients are, I'm seeing unprecedented movement. I'm sure you guys are being kind of in the staffing world too, like unprecedented movement of talent to different organizations. And if you have a great relationship with somebody, they're going to take you if they have relevant needs in the new context. Right. So <clears throat> to me, it goes back to how do you treat people? Does, you, does your brand and your company and your culture like really resonate and add value? And then if that happens, I think referrals kind of come out of that. Yeah, I agree with that. And you have to be trustworthy. Like someone has to be able to trust you to give referrals and you have to represent, you know, them well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, in kind of wrapping everything up, is there one piece of advice that you would give someone who maybe is looking to start a company and wants to, uh, you know, do something on their own and, and what would you tell them? Oh yeah, this is a, this is a good one. I like this one. <clears throat> so that uh, greatest minds only that's up on my wall. Like that's our mantra at the garage group. And it's like, it's something I live by and it really means um, you don't have to be ready to get started. You have a convict, have, have a vision for yourself of what you might want to do and have conviction for it. But courageous minds only means have the courage to start and recognize the process is actually what's going to reveal the answers and the growth, personal growth as you go along. And so somebody, whether that's you're jumping into a new role, you want to start a company, or even you're maybe struggling a little bit as an entrepreneur, like embrace that courageous minds only mentality. Like you, and again, like I, I it's personal for me too, because I think I maybe even waited a little bit too long to start, start the garage group because I didn't feel like I was quote unquote ready but it's to me, it's putting yourself in the situation to learn and grow, which will help push you forward. Don't wait to be ready and don't wait to have the right answer to get moving. It's the actual process of applying yourself and trying is what brings the right mentors, the right experiences, the right failures that ultimately you can pay for it into success. Love it. Do you have your own podcast? I don't. <laughs> Have you ever thought about it? I love the name Courageous Minds Only for a podcast. Yeah, we have talked about it. I do um, Courageous Minds Only chats. We do them like once a quarter. We used to do them live and uh, pre-COVID in New York and Chicago. I love it. Um, but I've been doing them recorded. So I interview 
corporate leaders from everything to like new technology to um, just how they're growing their businesses, how they're being courageous in the trenches of uh, like Fortune 500 companies. So that's it's, great. It's close to a podcast, but I guess, I guess we could do one at some point. Yeah, why not? All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I, it was great to connect. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, if anyone has any questions for Jason, feel free to email us at liveboldandbossup at gmail.com. And as always, don't forget to rate, like, subscribe, Live Bold, Boss Up on all major platforms. And until next time, Live Bold and Boss Up. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles Quick Fix on Radio Influence. It was good to it was good to see the Buccaneers in such a uh, a high profile game. Obviously, uh, they lost 34-24, Not what you want to see ultimately. Um, I thought they got out coached, and I thought they got outplayed as well. Now, going into a game on the road without AB, without JPP, that's not an excuse, but it's it's something. I mean, that's a big deal. You know, if you take away one of your best pass rushers, one of your best receivers um, on any team, it's going to be, you know, it's going to cause some kind of an effect. There's not going to be every game where you're able to just line up in five wide and, and crucify a team because you have more talent than them. Yesterday was one of those games. Sometimes you like to fall back on a running game. We are the worst running team in the NFL as of right now. I think Tom Brady was our leading rusher yesterday. Tom Brady was our leading rusher yesterday, okay? So, to me, don't like where we're heading, okay? We're going to Foxborough. That's going to be the biggest hoopla, and oh my goodness. I, I don't, for one second, I thought about going to that game, and I was thinking that's too much for me personally. But, my goodness, we're going to start talking about that game last week, okay? They're going to make a big deal out of that game. I think the Buccaneers go to Foxborough. They put it on New England because I don't think New England has the same players that we have. But, and if listen, if New England figures out a way to win that game, it ain't going to be because of Mac Jones because they got to beat us around Mac Jones as opposed to with Mac Jones. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.